0: So let's begin with a motivation I think that we'll share together this morning so that we can discover the path to peace, to happiness, to contentment, we can weed out in our own mind the obstructing forces that prevent us from having internal peace. also share today so we can develop all our positive qualities to the point of being able to make a positive contribution to all living beings. We can make this vast aspiration to help others to develop their wisdom and compassion realizing to help others develop those qualities, we need to develop them ourselves. So let's keep this intention in mind this morning as we share the dharma. So for the last about three years, I think it is, we've been doing one verse at a time uh, out of Annabel Children's book. Don't believe everything you think. And um, last month we finished the last verse. So today we'll start some review. And so I'll try to get through um, about nine verses of the uh, of this poem. Uh, this book is uh, based on. Um, this poem poem by Tongmaisamko, who's um, a Tibetan uh, master, um, and he wrote uh, this poem called Thirty Seven Practices of Bodhisattvas. And so he was a great Tibetan monk in the 14th century. And what's astounding about this book to me is that these verses is that they are as applicable now as they were, you know, 800 years ago. Um, So there's much to um, learn from each of these verses. And So first let me just uh, give a definition of what a bodhisattva is, because there might be some folks that don't know what that is. So a person whose spontaneous reaction upon seeing any living being is, I aspire to become a Buddha in order to benefit them. That's what a bodhisattva is. And so they live with this altruistic intention, or bodhicitta. And so that's the mind dedicated to attaining enlightenment in order to benefit all beings most effectively. And so these 37 practices help us to develop the mind that can actually do that, uh, benefit others. And so these practices um, are very... um, logical practices. They are practices that um, will help to transform our minds. Um, so right now oftentimes um, we you know, want to be happy, we uh, set out to do things so that we can have some satisfaction, have some contentment, and what ends up happening is that we don't feel so happy we have some misery, we have some obstacles, we have some difficulties. And so these practices help us to see what those difficulties are and help us to really transform the way that we think. Because if we transform how we think, then that's going to affect how we act and what actions that we do. Um, And So really in a Buddhist worldview, uh, we look to transform ourselves, and what we are conditioned to do often is to um, really react against what is going on outside of us, you know, and we have the thought of, you know, if that person just didn't act that way or do that, I could be happy. Don't we do that, like a lot? Yeah. And of course, how many people in here have ever changed another person's action? Anybody? I mean, that's kind of impossible, isn't it? You know, we can uh, criticize them, we can, you know, tell them, please don't do that, or whatever. And if they, from their (laughs) own side, don't have the decision to change, it's not going to happen just because we ask them to. And so that's kind of a dead end, really. And so in Buddhism, we look to transform inside. And the beauty of that is if we transform inside, then it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We can be content, we can be balanced and settled, we can be open and have a lot of compassion and other good qualities, uh, no matter where we are, what we're doing. And so that's the beauty of this path, actually, and uh, this uh, text helps us to accomplish that. And so this text um, uh, kind of questions some of our unexamined assumptions that we kind of uh, live with. And so, you know, one of them that I was kind of raised with a condition to was, you know, if I am successful and I make money and I can buy whatever I want, then the result of that is going to be happiness. And I did that. And you know what? I didn't find happiness in that. Yeah. Has anybody found happiness in that? Yeah. Is that a no, or? Yeah. Momentarily. More, yeah. Yeah, momentarily, and then it's gone. I'm still trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too sometimes, yeah, yeah. So we have a very habitual pattern of trying to, um, do things with external things, so that we can bring some happiness to ourselves. And over and over again, you know, the end result of that is it's very fleeting, and um, uh, it really doesn't bring any lasting contentment, lasting happiness. That's what we're looking for, yeah, that's what we're looking for. And so this text helps us to uncover the fallacy of looking externally for that kind of peace and happiness, because it isn't in any object or any person outside of ourselves. The path and the place to the peace of mind is inside, is inside. and It takes a long time, I don't know about you, but it took me a long time to turn my mind to look inward and to work there instead of react and, you know, get frustrated or angry at the circumstance outside. And of course, um, you know, we all want happiness and we don't want to suffer, like Venable Sompton said. And so, oftentimes, though, the difficulty is, is we really don't know what happiness is, and we don't know the causes of it, and we don't know the causes of our suffering. and so. The beauty of the Buddha's teachings is that he uh, observed and then was able to teach what the causes of happiness are, what the causes of suffering are. And so this text goes into that sum. And of course, again, it's this simple thing of, it sounds simple, the practice of it is not so simple and it takes some time. But if I think differently, then I'm going to get a different result. So it really is that. And so this text really um, points us in the direction of happiness if we practice it. And so I'll begin with the first verse. So this verse really just helps us to recognize the op- the opportunity that we currently have. And let me just say about these each of these verses. You could probably uh, talk on one of these verses for at least I don't know a year. You know, these these are very dense. So, you know, we're just kind of skimming the surface here today. Um, but as kind of the tradition is that we go over these texts again and again and again and again. And over time, each time we do that, we get deeper and deeper and more subtle understanding of the meaning of them. Uh, so that's kind of how to work with these. So, But, you know, we'll start today and get some... Uh, hopefully some understanding of uh, what this great monk was trying to teach. So the first verse says, having gained this rare ship of freedom and fortune, here think, and meditate unwaveringly night and day in order to free yourself and others from the ocean of cyclic existence. Now, This is the practice of bodhisattvas. And so what this verse is telling us is that right now we have quite a good circumstance. And to kind of understand this verse, we have to kind of delve into kind of a Buddhist worldview. So we believe that um, we take rebirth, uh, that the consciousness of the mind continues even when the body dies, and then we take a next body, next, next, next. And so, um, if you think about other uh, living beings, you know, if I was an earthworm in this life, I wouldn't have much opportunity to transform myself, you know, not much uh, ability to do that. Even a cat, even a dog, you know, not so much. But as a human, you know, we have some good thinking power, we have a good brain, we have good mind, and so we can transform ourselves. Most of us have circumstance where we're not, um, you know, in the middle of the war zone, we're not. Uh, working hard every day, trying to just get the basics of food and water and shelter. So we have some time. We have some ability to work with what we uh, have in in our minds, in our hearts. And so this is a good circumstance to transform the mind, to find some happiness and not have so much suffering. And that's really what the Buddha's message was, that we can do that. The potential of the mind is uh, the greatest potential in the universe. Uh, there's no end to our potential. Uh, we just have to figure out the way to tap into what we can accomplish. And again, the Buddha taught the ways that we can tap in uh, to what uh, you know the, our potential, what we can accomplish. And we can see already just this verse is kind of a radical change from how we usually think, you know, because usually we're pretty much looking outward all the time and just reacting. And this verse is talking about, you know, since we have some freedom and fortune in this life, we can look inward and transform ourselves. So the second verse tells us how to recognize and oppose attachment, anger, and confusion. These are called the three poisons. and So these are the three habits that we have that uh, bring us misery. So attachment is um, uh, having the view about a person or an object that is exaggerated. So we exaggerate the, the positive qualities of something and minimize or ignore any limits of the person or the object. And then we relate to them in that way. And so what that sets up, of course, is disappointment. And a lot of afflictions arise. Because how we're looking and relating to that person or thing isn't accurate. It doesn't, it doesn't match reality. So a good example of an object is you buy a new car. And you relate to it like it's this solid, unchanging, perfect thing. And then in two weeks, the first time it gets scratched or bumped, you freak out, you get so angry, you hate it. So that's a good example. Um, As far as a person, we can think about, you know, when we've fallen head over heels in love with someone, and then we're with them for some time, and we start thinking, who is this person? This isn't what I signed up for. What, what, what are they doing, you know? And again, what does that reflect? That reflects that at the beginning we see only their good qualities. We minimize anything that's a bit of a limit. And then we relate to them that way. And then we get quite shocked. You know? Or am I the only one that has done that? Yeah. yeah. So, so those are kind of examples um, of how we are under the control of these afflictions and this wrong way of seeing things, and then what it brings, such uh, misery for ourselves. So the second verse says, Attached to your loved ones, you're stirred up like water. Hating your enemies, you burn like fire. In the darkness of confusion, you forget what to adopt and discard. Give up your homeland. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. And so um, when it says, in the darkness of confusion you forget what to adopt and discard, if we are always looking externally and um, attached uh, or averse to things, then we're quite distracted to what's going on internally. So we really can't do much work with ourselves when we're only always uh, reacting to what's going on around us. And this again points to what Venable Sompton says, that if we give ourselves permission to sit down and calm ourselves and look inward and get to know our minds, we can do a whole lot in terms of how we react and how we transform ourselves. But if we stay busy and we're always on to the next thing and we never settle down and settle in for a few minutes, or you know, some minutes at least, um, then we don't have access to our own potential. It's very hard to change ourselves. And our habit then is to just react continually to all the things that are going on that are disappointing us, and confusing us, and making us angry. And we keep looking outward. And it's just a circle. We don't get anywhere. I never got anywhere with that. Has anybody gotten anywhere, really, with that way of doing? No, I don't think so. And so it says, give up your homeland. So what does that mean? That really means, give up these habitual thoughts and actions that bring misery. That's what it's talking about. So the habitual pattern, the ways of doing things, give that up. And so, that sounds easy, give that up, okay. But, you know, it's not so easy. (laughs) Yeah. So we have to practice again and again and again and again and then again. And then some more. So it's uh, uh, quite a practice but we can actually identify what keeps us locked in these dysfunctional patterns of behavior through study and meditation so we can we can and once we have that you know if i don't know what the problem is how am i going to change it it's impossible but if i can identify ah oh, when i get around this i get attached and then i have a lot of afflicted emotions that come up i get angry I get jealous, whatever it is. So if I understand that, then I can do something about that. I can change how I'm going to uh, interact with that person or object. So the third verse teaches us how to seclude ourselves from what triggers our disturbing emotions and how to um, cultivate clarity of mind. So, this verse says, By avoiding bad objects, disturbing emotions gradually decrease. Without distraction, virtuous activities naturally increase. With clarity of mind, conviction in the teaching arises. Cultivate seclusion. Now, this is the practice of bodhisattvas. So, again, you know, if we look at our experience, There are certain things that we're attached to, and when we get around them, we end up doing things that later on we think about it, it wasn't so helpful, and we feel kind of disappointed in ourselves. And so if we can recognize those things, you know, kind of a very coarse example would be, you know, if I was an alcoholic, uh, to go into a bar would not be a helpful thing for me to do. It wouldn't be kind at all for me to do. Because if I'm in that situation, the chance of me drinking would be pretty great. Yeah. So that's an example, you know. Um, but anything that we have uh, attachment to, or we can see that when we're around it, our peace of mind gets disturbed, we want to think about, hmm. You know, do I want to really get involved in that or not? Because we can make that choice, you know? And so, you know, it's not that we never, you know, talk to the person that we get angry at every time again or something like that, but we we detach a bit so that we can work on our mind, work on our afflictions, kind of get a game plan going so that when we are involved or around certain things we can manage ourselves and stay balanced and not feel disappointed in ourselves with the actions that we choose. Is this making some sense? And of course, you know, that's kind of what we do here at the Abbey, you know? We don't have TV, um, we don't have movies, those kinds of things, because they distract us from what we're trying to do. We want to cultivate our good qualities. And we want to grow our love and compassion. And we want to be able to um, you know, transform those habits that bring misery to ourselves. So we uh, you know, voluntarily and willingly um, uh, not have those things around us so that we can protect ourselves. Because I don't know about you, you know, before I uh, came here and took robes, I watched a lot of TV in my life, and I don't think one moment of that ever helped me in anything. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I kind of grew up on it. And when I look back, hmm, huh, a lot of waste of time, huh? Yeah. Okay. In verse 4, we're looking at death and dealing with loss. And so, really, what we're contemplating here is impermanence. And when we think about death and impermanence, that challenges challenges us to think about the meaning of our life. We don't do it so we can get bummed out or depressed. We do it so that we can see what is the meaning of this life I have here, knowing that it's not going to last forever. What is its purpose? What am I going to be doing? What is the outcome? So this verse says, Loved ones who have long kept company will part. Wealth created with difficulty will be left behind. Consciousness, the guest, will leave the guest house of the body. Let go of this life. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. So we can think, you know, what is the long-term meaning of what I do every day? What have I done and what am I doing that are of lasting benefit to others and myself? Because I have the potential to benefit others. And through that, then it benefits me. So that's good to ask, you know. It kind of wakes us up. Yeah, And I think the older we are, the more awake we can get with this kind of contemplation, you know when I was in my 18, 18 or 19, you know, invincible, don't talk to me about death, that's way down the line in somebody else, not me, you know? But, you know, we don't know. We don't know the time of death. All we know is that it's going to happen to all of us. So I can make some choice. What am I gonna do with the moments that I have? I could actually make my mind and heart open and happy, and then by extension, influence and help others. Now we've all done that, haven't we? Everybody here in this room has been kind and helpful to other people, yes? And if you tap into that and remember what that felt like, it's pretty wonderful. Now we could do that all the time. The Buddha, that's what he uh, achieved, that's what he taught. And so we could do that all the time, too. That would be pretty wonderful. That would be a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this verse is asking us to take a look at. Verse 5. In this one, we're kind of looking at our current friendships to discern true from false friends. And this verse says, When you keep their company, your three poisons increase. Your activities of hearing, thinking, and meditating decline. And they make you lose your love and compassion, give up bad friends. Now this is the practice of bodhisattvas. So again, the three poisons, attachment, anger, and ignorance. And so we can look in our lives and see there are some people that we um, were friends with, and when we were around them, we ended up doing things That later we thought about it and they really didn't accord with our values, our ethics, our beliefs? Or again, am I the only one that did that? Yeah, isn't that something that we have done? Yeah. So, you know, we want to look at that. We want to look at that. Again, if we are thinking about making a meaningful life, then who we are around and how they influence us. Uh, is something to you know important to look at, and you know I kind of include in this not only um, friends but you know what I get involved in. You know, if you watch a TV that is violent all the time and shows a lot of killing, or you do the video games that is about, um, you know, getting the best score because you're killing things. How's that going to affect your mind? How does that accord with this, this really heartfelt want to have love and compassion for ourselves and others? Because that's what we all want at the end of the day. Nobody starts out the day and thinks, Oh, how can I you know, be cruel and unkind to others? That's not what we start out with at all. So, really, the true nature of all of us, and this in Buddhism we call our Buddha nature, we all want to um, tap into that potential to be, you know, develop all of our good qualities. We all have good qualities, every one of us. And so we want to develop those more and more. Why? Because then we get happier. And then those around us get happier. And so when we, you know, rail against, you know, this world and there's so much, you know, hatred and, you know, anger and, you know, all of this uh, violence and everything, you know, instead of feeling um, kind of helpless about that, there's something I can do right today. I can develop my good qualities. I can open my heart. I can be kind and compassionate to myself and others And I am affecting this world in a very profound way. It's not something little, not something simple. That's very, very powerful. Yeah, very powerful. And we know that when we've met people that are very compassionate, especially when our mind is disturbed, it affects us, that compassionate person around us. Yes, very important. And we all have that potential, every one of us. Verse 6. This is to see the importance of virtuous friends. When you rely on them, your faults come to an end, and your good qualities grow like the waxing moon. Cherish spiritual teachers even more than your own body. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. So this is talking about our our, uh, spiritual teachers. You know, they understand our spiritual longing. They can guide us appropriately. I don't know about you, but left to my own devices, I don't know how much I would be able to transform myself by myself. Yeah? But if I have somebody that's uh, wiser than me, knows a bit more than I do, and will help me, then I can stay on track and I can uh, transform myself. So spiritual mentors are extremely important. And we can see that in our everyday life. Those people when we were younger who mentored us, how important they were, maybe even saved our lives sometimes, you know, that they lived in a way that resonated with our heart and we kind of wanted to be like them, so we kind of, em, you know, emulated what they did. Well, this is that same thing, only you know, on a spiritual level. So it's very um, important and helpful to think about who can support us in our spiritual practice. You know, whatever our spiritual practice is, who can help us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we want to use some wisdom with that. Pick somebody who is uh, walking the talk, you know. We want to look to see who we're going to follow, somebody that has good ethics, somebody that knows the path that we're interested in. Pretty important. I mean, we can even uh, look to, you know, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, all of the books he reads, you know. We can think of him as a spiritual mentor, We read the books and, you know, make some sense, and then we practice what he is uh, writing about. So same kind of thing. The next one is about our spiritual refuge. This is verse 7. Bound himself in the jail of cyclic existence. What worldly God can give you protection? Therefore, when you seek refuge, take refuge in the three jewels, which will not betray you. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. So the first line here, bound himself in the gel of cyclic existence. Again cyclic existence or the other word is samsara. This is the mind and body under the control of afflictions and karma. So bound in this cycle of existence, so what worldly god can give you protection? This is referring to uh, Hindu gods uh, who were viewed as worldly gods and samsaric beings in India. So that's really what it's uh, referring to. However, you know, we can think of this in terms of if we've been brought up with a different religion uh, than Buddhism, it's kind of important to um, be kind of clear about what our spiritual refuge is. You know, it's perfectly fine to... um, you know, have another religion and to use Buddhist uh, methods as a way to help, that's fine, you know. So, it, you know, we all of course get to pick whatever our path is, but it's, what gets confusing is when we start making soup with all of these different kind of traditions and putting them all in one thing and then try to work with that. That doesn't work so well, I think. That's a bit confusing. So, to know kind of what our refuge is, what is it that we believe and that we have some uh, information about, and we see others who have practiced that uh, looks like a safe direction, like something that is going to bring some result that we're looking for? Because what are we looking for? That we want to be happy and not suffer. That's true for everybody. And so, you know, in a Buddhist view, we think that it's great that there's all these different kinds of religions in the world because everybody is so different. So the task is to find the one that resonates with your heart and then, you know, work with that one. But I think this thing about jumping around to all different kinds, all, you know, tasting this, 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 then that's kind of what you're doing. You're tasting this, 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 and you're really not going very deep. And most religions to get benefit from you need to practice. I think you need to go deep. That's been my experience. And so we investigate to see if what the Buddha taught makes sense to us. Especially in Buddhism we don't go on blind faith. You know, we we learn about it, we think about it, we practice it and we see if it resonates with our mind and heart. And if it does, then we go forward. If we come up against some things that don't make some sense to us, but we feel like this path is working for us, we can just put those on the shelf and keep working with what does resonate and work with ourselves that way. Then verse 8 So verse 8 tells us our actions have an ethical dimension, and that what we think, say, or do has effect on not only others, but also on ourselves and our future circumstances. So this verse is, the subduer said, all the unbearable suffering of bad rebirths is the fruit of wrongdoing. Therefore, even at the cost of your life, never do wrong. And this is the practice of bodhisattvas. So we're really responsible for what happens uh, to us in our life and lives. In a Buddhist worldview, we we recreate the causes of our happiness or our suffering. And we think that um, what we have done in past lives uh, can ripen and come uh, into this life. Um, And it's not about... um, punishment you know if we've many of us of course have grown up in christian uh, country and so you know there's this thing about punishment you know if you do wrong or bad then you're punished in buddhism it isn't like that at all it's just cause and effect so if i plant a apple seed i'll get an apple tree not a peach tree if i get angry and smack someone in the face I am going to have some suffering result from that at some point or another. If I show kindness and love and generosity to someone, then at some time I am going to experience the result of that, which will be happiness. So it's just that. It's just that. In the first line, the subduer said all the unbearable suffering of bad rebirths is the fruit of wrongdoing. The subduer is the Buddha. And so, you know, certain actions are destructive because the result is pain and suffering. And others uh, are, you know, uh, positive because they bring happiness. It's just that simple, you know. And so, you know, we kind of live by certain ethics Uh, And most religions, all religions, have these, to some extent or another, certainly. And so there's ten destructive actions that we think about trying to change. There's three physical, so killing, stealing, and unkind or unwise sexual behavior. There's four verbal, lying, divisive speech, harsh speech, idle talk, and then there's three mental non-virtues, covetousness. Ill will and wrong views. And so we try to work on not committing these actions because we know it's going to bring pain and suffering for ourselves. And of course, by extension, then it brings pain and suffering to others, you know, doesn't it? Yeah. And so we want to practice so that we try to not create the causes for suffering. Now, again, I don't know about you all, but I have some very habitual patterns, and whether I want to or not, I cause pain and suffering. So I have to have a lot of compassion for myself when I do that, and, uh, you know, try again. Don't give up, keep trying, because these patterns are very habitual, and they arise uh, whether I want them or not, you know. I don't want to be angry, but I get angry still. So I accept that, but I keep working on it. So that's how we hold these. We don't hold these in a very tight way. If we do that, um, it's not going to work. It's too hard for our minds. So we need a whole lot of compassion for ourselves while we're working with these practices. Because we can't beat ourselves into Buddhahood. doesn't make any sense, you know? yeah. but we can love ourselves into it, yeah. so that's what we want to do. Verse 9, and then we take the step of aspiring for true liberation from this ignorance, anger, and clinging attachment, so this verse says, like the dew on the tip of a blade of grass, Pleasures of the three worlds last only a while and then vanish. Aspire to the never-changing supreme state of liberation. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. So this is uh, verse jam-packed. Boy, so like do on the tip of a blade of grass talking about how things are so transitory. Nothing is permanent and solid and stays. Everything is changing continually, continually. Pleasures of the three worlds this is the desire realm. This is the realm we're in. So we're hooked on sensual objects. You know, Everything is about sight, smell, touch, taste, tactile. Yeah? And then the form realm, that's a deep level of concentration, which beings are very, very blissful in that realm. However, when they're close to death, then they it gets very uncomfortable and difficult. So it's a suffering realm also formless realm again subtle states of concentration and a state of equanimity but still it's in this realm of suffering so uh, so all of these these pleasures of these three worlds last only a while and then vanish so it's not true happiness so momentarily happiness yes we all have that but it doesn't last and that brings a lot of unsatisfactoriness in our mind doesn't it it brings disturbance, it brings misery for us. So the supreme state of liberation, so once we attain that, then it never leaves. Once ignorance has been eradicated, there's no cause for it ever to return. So true freedom, what is that? Well, it means not being enslaved by anger. Clinging, craving, resentment, jealousy, all of these things. Just think for a minute what the mind would be like without any of these afflictions. Even just one. Just think of the, what the mind would be like without anger. I mean, you could see how vast the mind can be and how much energy we would have to put into love and compassion and develop all of our good qualities. It would be huge. So true freedom would be to resist acting on any impulse that comes into our mind. That would be nice. And so true freedom would be seeing things as they actually are. And So we would be free from these misconceptions of how we see things. And again, because the law of cause and effect functions, we can create the causes for lasting states of freedom. And this is what the Buddha taught. There's a path that's laid out. All we have to do is practice it and then we will, as we practice it, um, find more and more happiness, more and more contentment. Those around us will be happier. So this is a lot of information, jam-packed the first nine uh, verses. But hopefully it just gives you kind of a little flavor of uh, what we can do with our potential, what we can do with our minds and hearts, because we all have the capacity to transform and develop every good quality we have to its fullest. We all have that. And we've met people that have uh, developed their good qualities. We've Many of us have met many people that are very kind, very balanced, no matter what happens. We've seen that. Well, we can do that too. So, do we have some time for any questions? Anything at all? Or comments about what I've said? Don't be shy. Yeah.
1: So uh, even though uh, the mind is the source of happiness and suffering, right? And that was, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, was the, the um, I think we did that this morning. Uh-huh. Um, clearly still, though, external conditions play a role, right? Yes. So, yes. It's not like it's just one, it's solely the
0: mind, right? There are. Yes. Okay yeah sure. yeah. yeah. again, you know, there was that verse in here, you know, if I put myself in a situation where I know my mind is going to get very disturbed, then that's what will happen if I protect myself from that, yeah yeah But really, you know, I mean, all the time we we, I'm, at least I do, I try to get everything lined up so that I have some contentment and ease. But what happens? That's not what happens. I'm not the only one that, that yeah. I mean, daily, isn't it? Daily, hourly. hourly, yeah, minute by minute. You know. So you know that's what we're talking about, and that's what the Buddha figured out. He figured out a way to eliminate that. That we all have that capacity. That sounds pretty good to me. And not only that, but the years I've practiced, I can see my mind changing. I can see myself transforming. I think if somebody met me today and they knew me when I was 19, they would not know who I was at all. I have changed so much. And not only, of course that's true, I think, for anybody, but changed for the better. (laughs) Changed for the better, yeah. Changed for the better, because the track I was going on before, it would not have been for the better. Trust me.
1: So could you say though that like the mind is actually the ultimate source of of suffering and happiness? Because I'm thinking, for example, Hmm. something universal that would affect anybody, Mm -hmm. maybe unless you're a Buddha, I don't know, Mm -hmm. that would cause suffering. See, I mean, I hate to use such a, a gruesome example, but like you're getting your hand cut. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are, you're going to suffer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, what state of mind would you have to have in order to be able to not suffer through an experience yeah. like that,
0: right? Yeah, yeah so, you know, I, I, I was a nurse for many years, and so I saw a lot of pain and suffering. And what I noticed is that people who had um, kind of an open heart, Kindness and um, some kind of belief, I would say, some kind of spiritual belief, then when things happened to them, uh, there wasn't so much suffering. But somebody that really didn't have much belief and um, didn't accept what was happening to them and kept pushing it away, even if it was something kind of minor. Had huge suffering, huge suffering. So um, I believe fully that we can we can work with whatever the body throws us if we work with our minds, and I have seen that over and over and over again. Uh huh.
1: So when you're talking about you know getting your hand cut off. Um, <clears throat> So you're attached to everything that your hand can do for you. But if you changed your mind not to be attached to your hand, mm-hmm. then if it got cut off, you wouldn't suffer as much. Yep. So it's just like uh, you have an attachment to riding your bike every day. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you age and you can't ride your bike anymore. Mm-hmm. You're going to suffer because you're so attached to that. Yep. But if you don't have an attachment to it, and you just enjoy it for the time that you can use it and enjoy it, yep. and then one day you can't do it anymore, uh, you won't suffer as much yeah. if you're not attached to it, just like yeah. you wouldn't suffer as much if you're not attached to what your hand can do.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, I guess it's a matter yeah. of degrees that
0: it really Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Because but they say strong practitioners wouldn't phase them. Like a wouldn't Wouldn't phase them, yeah. That. Uh-huh. I had the
1: same experience you did. One of the reasons I moved here is because I worked for 30 years with Mm -hmm. musculoskeletal problems, which means pain. Mm -hmm. Everyone I worked with probably had pain unless they had balance problems. So Mm -hmm. I always worked with that for 30 years. And I really noticed the same thing. Like, some people had major problems. Huge problems, but they had not so much mental suffering with that, and they were mm-hmm. able really to deal with things. Yep. Other people had actually minor problems, yeah. and majorly they couldn't deal with it, and it was yep. a huge amount of suffering. Yep. And so that's what yep. that was one of the one of the two motivations of what I learned from my work that mm-hmm. brought me here mm-hmm. into these mm-hmm. teachings. And then uh, the other thing I want that answers your question a little bit. One of my teachers who just died in Seattle. Have a total knee. my Tibetan uh, teacher, and I had worked with many people with total knees uh, for I don't know twenty years or something. Mm -hmm. The knees got better. Mm -hmm. Say that the surgeries got better, but he had—he was unique. He had—he took the pain medication. I'm sure he had physical pain. He had no mental suffering. I never worked with anyone who had his experience of a total me. Mm-hmm. That, was, that really left me with quite an impression. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And so I, it helped me to see that, yeah, we have a lot of potential yes. on the mental side. Yes,
0: yes, huge amounts. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So um, then my final question is, what is the degree of suffering for your hand being cut off for the reason why it's happening to you? So, like, you're getting your hand cut off because you did something for somebody else mm-hmm. compared to getting your hand cut off because you did something for yourself. Yeah. Are you still suffering the same? Mm-hmm.
0: I think justification? Not.
1: Yeah. It's like giving away a kidney.
0: Yeah, it's like giving away a kidney so that someone else can survive. Those people are uh, very happy in the whole surgical experience and recovery. That's a good example, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: Uh huh. The people, in, in my experience, when when you looked at them who had <coughs> terrible things going on in their life, the people who did well were the ones who came in and said, "How are you doing today?"
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. you go. You know, and in other <coughs> words, rather than being yep. self-centered about their misery, they're yep. asking.
1: They're they're outward directed. They're concerned yep. about other people. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Also, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a trainable skill. And that's a trainable skill. Yes, that's Not a trainable skill. Personality quirk. Yep. yep. <laughs> trainable <laughs> skill. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: when I was working um, at a cancer center, it seemed like the ones who um, had this sense of gratitude, too, it totally changed their experience. Mm-hmm. And they were going through horrendous things, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, they saw how each person was trying to help them and mm-hmm. you know, all they could do was be mm-hmm. thankful.
0: Yeah. And really, when you start thinking about this, there is such freedom when we turn our minds around this and focus on others and caring for others not not to our own detriment. You know we have to find balance everything in Buddhism is about balance, so we have to find balance, but when we do that, then we are released from all of this reactive all the time. Why'd you do that? Why'd that happen? No, 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 no. You know that kind of mind. Always something. You know that kind of mind. That that leaves. That leaves. And then what's left with is a lot of space and a lot of energy and a lot of openness to start transforming our patterns, our habits inside. And then we have more energy to be helpful to others. Then that feeds back to us, and we feel better. So then we get this kind of loop going, which is quite lovely. Quite lovely. And we all have that potential. Every one of us. And, of course, when we're practicing it, at first it starts and stops, you know. Two steps forward, three back for a while. You know, so we, we acknowledge that that's fine. It's not because we're stupid, you know, it's because this is such a habit. The way that we do things and how we see things. It's just such a habit. So we have to overlearn. We have to do it again and again and again and again and again and then some more. And then pretty soon we start feeling the internal transformation. And when you have that, then your conviction arises about these teachings. And then it becomes kind of center for one, you know? I'll look at everything through that lens now. And then it make everything makes sense then, you know. Okay. We've used our time. So let's just sit for a minute here and just reflect on Uh, Maybe something that you heard someone say that uh, resonated with your heart, something that you might want to practice this week as you go home. again, we dedicate this merit, and what does that mean? To me that means that we've sat in this place together, doing no harm, creating a lot of positive energy with our hearts open, and now we can do something with that energy. Let's send it out and give it to people who need it. Let's give it to areas that are in need of some positive energy. So let's think about that energy going out, places where it's needed. And then we'll do the dedication on page 30 in the blue book. And due, due to due this merit, merit may we soon, soon attain, we attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, Buddha that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase
1: forever.